firewalls, transparency, and compliance mandates. How do the three fit together, and are investments in InfoSec being applied to the best solutions? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Josh Corman, Research Director of Security Analyst Firm, the 451 Group. Josh, you and I have spoken in the past about firewalls and their diminishing value in preventing and detecting breaches. You've noted that they're effective as part of a layered security approach, but should not be solely relied upon for breach prevention. Can you explain? Sure. I think um, the interesting thing about the compliance mandates is they're trying to cater to a very diverse set of maturity models for security and risk prevention. If you just take the PCI standard, for example, most of the targets that they were trying to raise up had previously been doing absolutely zero security. Um, some might have had a firewall and very little else. So it's not state-of-the-art. It's not the most uh, effective or um, modern response to the way people are actually perpetrating the attacks and breaches. Uh, but they were at least trying to get people to do something rather than nothing. Now, over time, how well those work and the role they play is diminishing as the technology changes and as the adversary sophistication changes. And at this point, although some people would dread um, dropping their firewalls, we've seen some people do it and advocate that, like the Jericho form, or at least uh, maybe using the, the firewall-like features in their existing modern router architectures instead. Um, almost everyone has a firewall and is using it. It's just not necessarily a relevant defense against the way people are actually being attacked. Now, complying with industry standards and mandates, unfortunately, has been the focus for many companies rather than security itself. When it comes to compliance, the use of firewalls is a standard protocol, as you've noted. Do you expect that to remain the case, Josh, or is a shift in thinking among industry regulators and standards bodies, such as the Payment Card Industry Security Standards Council, on the way? You know, I'd like to think that we're maturing and we're figuring this out as we get more breach data and, and the analysis that's done on how it's being breached. But as you've seen and you and I have talked about in previous interviews, um, there's a stunning lack of change in, in many of these standards. In fact, they're stabilizing, not um, evolving. So with the PCI, for example, there were nearly no changes. The headline was for the 2.0 release in, in uh, October was no surprises. Um, and, you know, to my chagrin, um, I thought there were quite a few changes necessary. If you look at the available data sources, um, things like the Verizon Business Data Breach Report, uh, a lot of these attacks are coming in through SQL injection, uh, so they're going to come in the kind of ports and services you have to leave open um, through a standard firewall. And that's why we have to augment these things to uh, to look higher up the, the stack, so to speak for application layer attacks like cross-site scripting, SQL injection, et cetera. It's not the only way they're doing it, but as the attackers have adapted to the more pervasive nature of firewalls, you need to augment them with things like IDS and when IDS is bypassed with things like uh, data loss prevention and web application firewalls. And, and there's just so many point solutions and appliances now that it's hard for a new person entering security or someone who's using compliance as a guideline to know what they should do. They're basically sticking to what they've been told to do and nothing more, and they're continuing to be compromised. Yeah, that's an interesting point that you've raised. And when we talk about firewalls, they're not all created equally, though the lines oftentimes are blurred. Why is that, Josh? And why are many companies now investing in DLP or anti-botnet technology? Well, you know, without getting into a technical lesson on the seven-layer OSI stack or whatnot, if you just look at this, it's much like TSA or airport security. You know, we had almost no security. We added metal detectors, you know, for guns and knives, and they weren't good enough, so we added 
you know, scanning our bags, and then we had a shoe bomber, we had to take our shoes off, we had a gel threat, we had to use smaller shampoo bottles, so on and so forth. The underwear bombers led to the nude scanners and the, and the pat-downs because people didn't like the nude scanners. So the same kind of matriculations happened with information security. A firewall was pretty much all you needed. It was to reduce your attack surface. If you lock down all the ports and protocols you don't need to do your business, then you, you can only have a reduced attack surface for, say, port 80 for web traffic or, or other limited ports that were necessary. The challenge was attacks uh, evolved to the point where they were attacking you over the ports and services you did need. That's why we had the advent of intrusion detection systems and then subsequently intrusion prevention systems. What they were doing is climbing the stack with the attackers and saying, for the ports and services you do need open, let's inspect that traffic for good versus evil. And that worked pretty well for a time. Uh, attackers climbed the stack further and were doing things like application attacks, like SQL injection and cross-site scripting, or they were exfiltrating data, which isn't really visible at the individual packet or protocol level. You need to do more processing than these appliances were capable of doing, looking deeper into the packets and sessions. And, and therefore, we had to throw even more at it to the point where I think I did a presentation for Interop counting like 40, 45 network security appliance types, even though we only have seven layers of the stack and certain sub-things to look for. So every time there's a new hot threat, we've, we've thrown a new security appliance to stick behind our firewalls, our IDS, and so on. Now, how can companies balance, then, investments that they make in firewall requirements, those that are mandated but for compliance, and how can they also ensure security? How can they balance these investments that they're making? Well, that's the tough part. I think um, when people were looking at how to evolve their risk management and their security frameworks, um, they were looking to diminish investment in some of the older, less effective technologies and start looking at some of these uh, full seven-layer session inspection engines, whether they're inline or out of band. Some of the, the DLP vendors have session awareness, which isn't just looking deeply into the packets, more deeply than firewalls and IPS, but also looking across uh, conversations and sessions to see um, things that can only be detected at the application or content layer. So they were looking to branch out, and unfortunately a lot of those budgets to do probable, probably superior visibility got canceled in lieu of paying the, the expensive fees to be assessed and conform to some of these um, perhaps backward-looking minimum standards for the industry. So it's a, it's a fairly tough problem. We don't have a lot of available and actionable intelligence in information security. We have very few data sources and a lot of debate and arguing over which technologies are effective and which ones are not. And it's the role we try to play with our research is to try to highlight which things are best suited to handle modern adversaries or modern uh, business uh, technologies and, and use cases. But uh, it's very tough when we're competing with backwards-looking uh, technologies that were pretty good and state-of-the-art many, many years ago, but are, are pretty long in the tooth at this point. Now, visibility or transactional transparency is something you've said is a necessity. Seven-layer visibility, you say, should be standard practice, even though it's not mandated. Can you explain what seven-layer visibility is? Well, sure. I mean, the firewalls and the IDSs are really looking at uh, cursory information at the port and protocol uh, and, and uh, levels, and they're looking for abuse of protocols, et cetera. But as I was uh, suggesting, a lot of these attacks are sophisticated malware which um, you really can't detect within individual packets or, or ports and protocols. It may not even come in over the network. It might be through USB keys. Um, some of these things are sensitive materials and regulated data, which can 
be done in a limited fashion with some of these older technologies, but often require uh, looking at all parts of the packet and traffic and all parts of the session and conversation. So ultimately, as the, as the attackers climb the stack to the top, uh, we've had to follow. And there's good uh, technologies out there that can do um, anomaly detection across these sessions and conversations or packet capture and analysis and forensics. Some of the, I, I refer to these as a TiVo for the network. They're really not blocking anything, but they're recording all the, all the conversations on every port and protocol, doing some analysis, and then you can later search to see if you were burglarized, where was it, or if you have a suspicion that there's a new sophisticated stealthy attack that you heard about from a peer in the industry or on the news, you can go back and look at your videotape, so to speak, and find if, in fact, you've been compromised as well. So having a, it, it's, it's kind of like we're fighting blind right now. So we need more floodlights and more uh, cameras and more door sensors. And some of these seven-layer visibility uh, tools are very effective at getting a lot uh, more information, even if it's for historical after the incident kind of reasons. Um, they're uh, fairly useful. Now, you've noted before that IT departments must have the ability to see encrypted information. Of course, that goes back to transactional transparency and this visibility that they must have. But how do companies balance protection with transparency? Doesn't that defeat the purpose of encrypting data in the first place? Yeah, this has been a – unfortunately, we don't have enough conversation about this in the industry, but I, I have been on panels and in debates about this. The irony is that the, the awareness of more breaches and more – uh, theft of intellectual property and sensitive things is encouraging more encryption. Now, the, the vendors that supplied these network security appliances actually hate this because it's blinding them. So the degree to which you're doing more responsible encryption, it's, it has at least temporarily blinded a lot of these other uh, investments you've made. Because if I'm looking at traffic for uh, breach data or regulated information, and I'm dependent upon seeing that traverse your network in the clear, um, I've now got a new challenge because all I see is a garbly cook. So these guys are adapting by partnering with uh, SSL proxies or by doing key brokering or inserting themselves somewhere where they can analyze the, uh, the traffic in the clear, but it is an additional hurdle and challenge. And what about deep packet inspection? How is it pushing the evolution of the solutions that are out there on the market? How does it fit into the overall forensics picture? So it's a, it's a bit of a, a, a nebulous term, deep packet inspection. How deep do you mean by deep? Um, so everyone's going to tout deep packet inspection within their marketing collateral. Uh, the question is going to be, you know, what layers of the conceptual seven-layer OSI stack are they looking at? And, and once they are tearing apart those different layers, uh, what are they doing once they've gotten into the, that deep packet? They're, in fact, deep packet ins uh, inspection products that do nothing but the disassembly. They're not actually doing anything with it. Um, some people are using it to look for malware. Some people are doing it to look for um, network attacks. Some people are looking for intellectual property. So how deep you go matters, and what you're doing with it matters. So it's more of a feature than it is a, a product category. And the other thing is, at this point, some of these attacks, some of these slower and lower attacks, or even the, uh, the data loss prevention appliances, they really need to look beyond individual packets through the seven layer and into more session awareness um, and, and conversation analysis. So it's, it's even beyond DPI at this point. Now, I tied some of this DPI conversation in with forensics. 
When it comes to real-time forensic inspection, how critical do you see that being to the industry today? I think it's of uh, pretty critical importance. We're, we have a little bit of a challenge where the bottleneck is not so much the technical capabilities. There's some really decent technologies that help you be that TiVo, so to speak, for the network. Um, the challenge is having skilled enough talent and operators to, to, to look at the feedback and output of these things and make uh, make good use of them. So I can have surveillance equipment all over my house, but if no one's watching uh, the video consoles, then I won't even notice I've been attacked. So. What we have is to really notice these talented and persistent adversaries, these state-sponsored attacks, the industrial espionage, all the things that made the news for the first time prominently last year. Uh, they're not new phenomenons, but they become mainstream and more prominent now. These types of things are really going to require a whole lot more eyes and ears. So I, I see this as a critical investment. I just want to find ways that individual organizations can have a talent pool that can extract the value that they represent. So ton of potential. But uh, the bottleneck's going to be finding and fostering the talent to do so. Most of the players in this space are trying to make it more usable and easier and more obvious for less skilled uh, analysts to, to extract that value. And in closing, Josh, could you give our audience three to five takeaways that should be considered when choosing a vendor and or solution that really does enhance security? Well, right now, given the economy and given the tension between passing a, an audit, and you're, you're probably going to have very, very little discretionary budget for things beyond that, which will cause a fine. I mean, we've said before, this industry is acting in a way that they, they clearly feel the, the auditor more than the attacker. Now, for those of you concerned about more than just passing an audit, um, it's really tough to find what's the maximum impact with my skill set and my team for the minimum investment. And there's a whole lot of interesting technologies like uh, some of these more advanced data loss prevention tools like the network forensics, like anti-botnets, like next-gen firewalls, web app firewalls, app-aware firewalls, and no, they're not the same. Those last two sound an awful lot alike, but they're very, very different. I think a lot of this is going to have to be based on what you're most concerned about. I think web app firewalls are not necessarily the most strategic use, but they certainly could address the most acute and most attack pain point right now something like 89% of the breach records last year from Verizon involved SQL injection, and most of us are leaving our application layers wide open. So that's a tactically intelligent decision. Um, the real solution is to write more rugged code in the future um, and, and have a, a lot more of a culture of developing defensible infrastructure. Um, the WAF will always have a purpose, but I think the, the most strategic thing is to have these seven-layer uh, visibility, whether, whether it's inline or for forensics purposes, because the more visibility we'll get, even if we're not preventing it now, we'll be able to detect and respond more quickly in the future and uh, hopefully avoid a lot of these point solutions um, and spread our budgets and our staffs too thin, maintaining these uh, solutions that maybe address last year's threat but might not be as hot or relevant next year. Josh, I'd like to thank you again for your time today. Thank you. Again, we've just heard from Josh Corman, Research Director for the 451 Group. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.